politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, like I predicted this morning, Jen Psaki says, you know, inflation, because COVID, because COVID. And the president says, look, not everybody wants to buy a used car, okay? All right? So if you're looking for a used car, I don't know what to tell you. No, look, I know inflation is expensive. Everything's going up, the cost of everything. But remember, not everybody wants to spend money. Oh, maybe buy it, but I don't do the whispering thing. Not everybody wants to spend money. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Hope you're having a great day. Yes, it's a Friday edition today, and it's great to be with you on this uh, glorious Friday afternoon. Beautiful outside, right? So where do we begin? Let's start with inflation, shall we? Let me just go over a couple of, uh, of facts for you in terms of how things are with inflation, because maybe you are like so many people trying to just make ends meet in life, right? I mean, aren't we all these days? Aren't we all? So one of the things that I think uh, we have to focus on then is the cost of goods as it relates to increases under Joe Biden. For example, gas is up 58%. Rental cars up 37%. And you know what? I know that firsthand because we booked a rental car for our trip to Florida after Christmas. And man, is it expensive. Ah, ah. Used cars, 31%. But again, not everybody's going to buy a used car. So, you know, there's that. Hotels, 26%. Not everybody's going to stay at a hotel. Steak, 25%. Not everybody needs to eat steak. Utilities are up 25%. Not everybody has to use utilities. I'm just trying to use the trying to use the Joe Biden way of going through inflation because that's what he said. He, You know, he said that. Not everybody wants to needs to buy a used car or something, I think. So I guess you can just use that basically with everything, right? I mean, like bacon, 21% increase. Not everybody wants to buy bacon. The downside is prices have gone up because of supply chain concerns. We've worked us hard on the supply chain concerns. I think you're going to see, you've already begun to see, and you're going to see over the next couple months, oil prices, gas prices of gas pump come down. You know, the biggest, one, one, one of the, a third of the increase in inflation is used automobiles. Um, so, I mean, it is a real problem. But the point is, that has to do with supply chain as well. But it also has to do with the fact that not everybody's looking for a used automobile. But those who are, they're paying higher prices because there's fewer of them because of COVID and what was sold out in the COVID. Light. So I think COVID. It's, uh, it really is. It's a real bump in the road. It does affect families. When you walk in the grocery store and you're paying more for whatever you're purchasing, it matters. It matters to people. Yeah, but not everybody when has to buy stuff in the grocery store, right, Mr. President? Not everybody has to. I mean, you could just walk, you know, just walk in and walk out and browse. Paying more for gas, although in some states we've got the price down below three bucks a gallon. But oh, the hey, point but below three bucks a gallon. Look at that, huh? Now, uh, not everybody has to buy any of these things, obviously. These are all privileges. You privilege people, you, and you should enjoy them and not mock anyone who says otherwise. Of course, for a lot of people right now, it's very difficult for them to be able to get by. Even CNN having to report on the fact that, yes, middle people in America, the little people, flyover country, the parts of America they don't like to talk about, they're all impacted by this. Don't you know how Biden blames COVID for everything? Because COVID? Because COVID? Yeah, because not, not a lot of people, because COVID. I, I, did I not tell you this this morning? Did I not predict this for you this morning? That because COVID would be the excuse for inflation? Of course, you knew it would be. So CNN had to, in fact, discuss the fact that people in flyover country, that dastardly place, 
are struggling. Harder. So we visited with a family just outside of Richmond. They own a farm. They started a small business during the pandemic, and they are just trying to navigate this roller coaster of a pandemic economy. Hi. You want to In the St. Cyr household, Cricket the show cow and Trigger the rescue horse are top priorities. Your animals come first. By the way, not everybody needs a show horse and not everybody needs a a show cow. All right? I'm just pointing that out. It's like they eat before I eat. And these gentle giants eat a lot. The price of their food has gone up and with twice daily feedings, they run through nearly two 50-pound bags a week. It was about like $16 a bag and right now it's at, it depends on where you go, where we're getting it. It's about like 22 It's just one of the price pinches for this family in rural Michigan. Spending power for rural Americans has dropped by 5.2% compared to 3.5% for urban Americans from pre-pandemic. And rural Americans typically spend more on the very items that have seen the biggest price increases, food, energy, and cars. What are the biggest challenges you face when it comes to inflation? I think it's just not having the options to offset those costs. It's like, okay, yeah, we could drive another half hour, another hour, but it's like we're paying three fifty for gas. But- well, you could just move to the city which is what they want you to do anyway, right? I'm just saying, you could just do that. Uh, isn't it amazing how callous this administration is for people that are really dealing with real life? I'm telling you, the other day I had a conversation with somebody and he said, "I, you know, it's like, I don't think a couple bucks here and there really affects anybody. No, it really does. It really affects people. It has real consequences on people. And they're hurting. And this is Joe Biden's economy. And the reason why this is all because of energy prices. It's not COVID. It's because of energy. It's because on day one, on the first day of his job as, as president, he killed the Keystone XL pipeline. And it was a war in energy ever since. All these things are related to energy prices. Everything is petroleum. Every plastic toy you have under the Christmas tree this year, petroleum has to make that. And then, of course, the petroleum to carry the ships and then the trucks and then keep the stores open and everything else. It's it, what we are feeling, what we are seeing is a direct result of the left's obsession with climate change and the war on energy. That's what this is. And they are fine if flyover country has to suffer because their hope is they'll get out of that beautiful, beautiful land, restore it to the plants and move back to the city. You think I'm kidding? How many zoning laws in America right now are being designed to keep people from living in the country, the burbs? Everything is being targeted. The whole infrastructure bill is targeted towards trying to get people back into the cities. All of it is. But you got to realize now something. Um, Only Americans who look at economic data care about this stuff. Otherwise, normal people don't care. You got to realize that. There may be, there are certainly Americans who look at data. I'm not suggesting that. Many of them work in New York and other places. Yeah, but, you know, but beyond that, no one cares. You know what I mean? So unless you are an egghead who looks at data, this doesn't affect you. So why you're paying more for food and the restaurant's charging you more for food and everybody's, you know, but are you an analyst? No, if not, well, unbelievable. I mean, and again, this is all because COVID. That's what everybody says. This is because COVID. 
And uh, you know it's not. But the White House is still going to pretend it is. Does the administration, does the president acknowledge that inflation is more entrenched and not transitory? Well, Kristen, I would say that I can't speak, obviously, for Jerome Powell. But I think part of the point here is that it doesn't really matter what you call it. Yeah. What do you what do you want to call it? Do you want to call it something besides inflation? You want to call it a monkey um, or, or a unicorn? You can do that. Whatever you want to do. OK, Any, anything, anything you want to do. It's up to you. You call it whatever you like. Let's not focus on words and names. And inflation doesn't like to be called inflation anyway. It it identifies actually as a good economy. It, it does. It identifies as a good economy. And the economy's not good, by the way. You might have heard that. The economy's not good. I, I, know, I know people want you to believe it, but it's not. Today in the New York Times, there's a piece by David Leonhardt. And he says the following here. I'm going to just share a little bit with you here. Offices remain eerily empty. Airlines have canceled thousands of flights. Subways and buses are running less often. Schools sometimes call off entire days of class. Consumers waste time waiting in store lines. Annual inflation has reached its highest level in three decades. Does this sound like a healthy economy to you? In recent weeks, economists and pundits have been asking why Americans feel grouchy about the economy. Many indicators like GDP growth, stock prices, and the unemployment rate look strong. But I think the answer to this supposed paradox is that it's not really a paradox. Americans think the economy is in rough shape because the economy is in rough shape. Sure, he writes, some major statistics look good and they reflect true economic strengths, including the state of families' finances, but the economy is more than a household's balance sheet. It is the combined experience of working, shopping, and interacting in society. Americans evidently understand the distinction... There's an Associated Press poll. 64% describe their personal finances as good. Only 35% describe the national economy as good. Now, think about everything we're dealing with, right? We have all these supply chain problems. Labor shortages, which is still a thing. Rising prices. Cutting into paychecks. Especially for working class households like those, you know, hicks in flyover country. People spend less time socializing. The unending nature of the pandemic, the masks, COVID tests, Zoom meetings, the anxiety producing runny noses is wearying. Yeah, but you know what? It's not, though. It, it, it is and it isn't. Let me break from his piece for a second and say two things. Obviously, number one, I'm joking when I call people hicks, but number two, uh, number one, except parts of, you know, South Jersey, uh, uh, you know, Salem County. And I say that with all love, clearly. No, the truth is that we're not tired of, we're, yes, we're all exhausted from the pandemic. I, everybody is, yes. But we're also, what we're exhausted from, what we're tired of is the nonstop doom and gloom of the pandemic. And just, just the other day it was Omicron, nonstop, right? Beating you over the head with Omicron. Now Fauci's out there saying, oh, forget Omicron, it's Delta. We're back to Delta again. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're back to Delta. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, Delta variant, not Omicron, is going to be the biggest threat this winter. That's what Fauci said recently. But we were just told that Omicron was going to be the worst thing ever, and then as soon as Omicron wasn't, isn't it amazing how quickly Delta becomes the big problem again? Isn't that something? Instead of it being a situation where you turn around and you go, well, great, so we were all panicked about Omicron, but it turns out we didn't need to panic about Omicron. That was media hysteria and the hysteria of the pharmaceutical companies and everybody else who see opportunities here. But now, because we don't have to worry about Omicron because it's mild and nobody's died from it yet, then everything has to be back to Delta so that they can keep us in fear. That's how they work. Let me just say this about the pharmaceutical companies. I think that for me, personally, 
I think everything changed for me when I watched that show Dope Sick. I really do. I, I think everything changed for me when I watched that show Dope Sick because, you know, it, prior to that show, and I'm not being paid to say this, and this is, I have, you know, I, I'm just giving you my my straight opinion on everything as I always do to you. I'm always honest with you. I think that there was, without question, this belief that if the FDA and the CDC signed off on something, it was going to be in our best interest. And I guess I just believe that because I was of the mindset that given everything that we've seen in the past and over time and everything else, that there were people who were dedicated to being pain-in-the-ass bureaucrats who would bust the chops of private sector companies. That's That was my belief. It wasn't that they were trying to be good people who were trying to save lives. It wasn't that they were trying to, you know, do right by the little guy and make sure a big pharma paid. It was just they were just pain-in-the-asses who just loved to bust chops. That's how I assumed it was going to be. It's like, it's like the local board of health, right? I have a friend who's got trying to get this restaurant open. Not even really a restaurant. I mean, it's it's like a you know it's a coffee shop with breakfast and lunch and trying to and she's waiting for the board of health, the county board of health, to give her a certificate to open. It's been weeks, so I imagine that mindset of these bureaucrats were like, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, and we have to make sure we can come and inspect because you know, God forbid, a business just open without government coming in and blessing it and getting its fee, getting its vig, and that's all it's about with them is just getting their friggin' vig. That's all it is. These they don't. I mean, why is some bureaucrat in the in the county board of health? Uh, uh, why are why do they have to sign off on this restaurant open? Do you think the restaurant owner wants to kill people or get people sick so that she can close in a matter of days after investing tens of thousands of dollars in her business? Is that what you think her motivation is? She's going to let you know rat droppings pile up and food spoil so that she can make a quick buck, so that she can go under in a matter of days after she gets the community sick. You think you think that's her motivation? And the only thing keeping her from doing that and killing everybody is some bureaucrat at the board of health who comes in with a clipboard and goes, "I need to see the temperature of the cucumbers." And the... so I guess. What I'm saying is I always thought that that mindset of the bust your chops, pain in the ass little bureaucrat who works at the Board of Health was the same mindset of the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. who were at the FDA and the CDC. That they just wanted to bust the chops of the people at all the pharmaceutical companies because it's their nature to do so. They think they're helping by slowing down the wheels of progress. They think they're helping by busting chops. It's not that they save lives by, by, by regulations. I don't think regulations save lives. I don't. I, there's some people who go, oh, regulations have a place. Yeah, convince me. Give me one. Give me one. Tell me a regulation that saves, that saves a life. Give me a regulation that saves a life, and I will give you a, a counter to that regulation. For example, you want to tell me that right now, say, let's see, the regulation that, um, let's see, that every single house has to have a fire alarm and it saves lives. Okay, so let's say that every house has to have a fire alarm in it and it saves lives. That's a regulation that has to be there and it saves lives and that's a great thing. Okay, without that, do you think people would just stop putting fire, fire alarms in their houses? I'm mean, Honestly, do you think adults would, would just stop doing that? Is the only reason why you have a fire alarm in your house right now because government makes you? I'm, I'm just asking. So it's not that regulations kill people necessarily, although some do, and it's not that they... 
necessarily save lives, although I guess you can argue that some do. My point is that your motivation for doing it isn't necessarily because government tells you to. Your motivation to do it is in your own self-interest, in your family's self-interest, your business's self-interest too. But the government comes along and gets a VIG. So, you know, the, they have to do the inspection. You got to write them a check so they can make sure your fire, fire alarms work. All right. I probably would do that anyway. I've got kids. I want to make sure the kids don't die. But government coming in is supposed to give us this false sense of security that's going to work. So same thing with the Board of Health. I, 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 what, I don't go into the uh, restaurant and go, let me see your Board of Health certificate. I want to read through the re- inspection report. I want to see it. I want to understand your pros and cons. I'd like to see the areas where they cited you. Last month, I want to go and inspect. And No, I just think to myself, this business has a rational interest in keeping me alive and serving me good quality stuff that won't get me sick. Because if I get sick, I'm not coming back. If I die, I can't come back. And if I really have a bad experience, I'm going to tell everybody I know. Give them a bad review on Yelp. There are some government regulations that do kill. For example, the regulations around cafe standards, which is what cars have to be very light in order to meet fuel standards. That has a correlation between actually killing people because cars are less safe on the highway because they have to be lighter in order to, you know, climate change. So I can give you those examples. I could do that all day, but I'm not going to do that now. My point is that when the FDA and the CDC, when I realized watching Dope Sick that these are not just people that wanted to bust chops at pharmaceutical companies, many of them want to get jobs with pharmaceutical companies. And that's what happens. There's a, there's a turnover. And yet we're at this point in time right now where we just watched the opioid epidemic happen and we're seeing all these big pharmaceutical companies settle for billions of dollars for deceptive advertising and false marketing and everything else. And yet right now in this country, in this day and age, if you don't subscribe to exactly what Big Pharma tells you, you're anti-science. And the media is going to go along with saying whatever Big Pharma says and the FDA and the CDC are going to sign off on whatever Big Pharma says. And if you criticize them, you're anti-vaccine, you're anti-science, you're, you want people to die, whatever it is. What an advantage for big corporate America to have that. Think about it. And the left, which used to be the, the, the people that used to go after big corporations, they're all in now inciting whatever the pharmaceutical companies say. And the media is all in too. So these, these corporations have such an amazing, amazing get-out-of-jail-free card because they can, they can say we need a 17th shot of COVID, uh, a booster shot. And the media is going to go, well, they said it. If you disagree, you're anti-science and the FDA and the CDC is going to along with it too. We're not sick of, we're not, it's not that COVID, yes, it's exhausting, but it is the nonstop doom and gloom of everything. And the nonstop how every day there's a new headline, well, we needed another booster and we're going to probably need to rework the formula and we're going to have to do this and we're going to have to do that. And everybody just runs and scurries along and does all these things. And we don't even have the ability to push back and question any of this because our country, our FDA and our CDC, um, they're more than happy to just sign off on whatever Big Pharma tells them. And that's the truth. And so my mistake was, until I saw Dopesick, was just thinking that the entire group in D.C. was just a bunch of pain-in-the-neck bureaucrats. And really, there's a lot of people with, with a lot of self-interest, motivation to cash in down the road. That's human nature. I get it. I'm not saying there needs to be more government to deal with that. I'm just saying what the answer to that, the remedy to that is skepticism. Skepticism of big pharma, skepticism of the government, skepticism of the media, skepticism of all of it. That, that's the answer. 
instead of just having to turn around, how many people on Twitter will just blast you if you even, like if you if you come out on Twitter today and you go, what, a fourth booster? Are you freaking kidding me? Is this just about profits? You'll get killed by people who will say, why you, you're anti-science and you want people to die, right? You will. That's the truth. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli podcast. So this, so so you have now uh, the intersection between big pharma, the government regulatory agencies, and the media, and we and we see this. And look, this is what Dr. Marty Mercari said on the show this week, and what Dr. Nicole Sapphire said too. The FDA, the CDC are way too in bed with big pharma. And again, I, it's not to slam vaccines. I'm just saying it is. It is a. The point is that we don't have right now in our country. We don't allow skepticism, and skepticism is what is essential in all of this. For example, there are these ghoul politicians who will love to seize things like fear, Omicron, everything else, to expand power over us. In New York State, the governor who took over for the love gov, Kathy Hochul, no, I mean, she's not the love gov. Cuomo was the love gov. I'm saying the governor who took over for the love gov, comma, Kathy Hochul, comma. No, I guess that would mean she's the love gov. Anyway, you get the point. She's just imposed a statewide mask mandate. Why? For, for, for what reason? You know what the reason is? Power, this is why. She wants to show the Democrats that she is as tough on COVID as the next one is. That's why. And this is what they do. This is what they do. They will react by putting more control over people as their way of virtue signaling in the pandemic to show everybody they're tough, they're in charge. And I've said all along, I have two priorities protect the public health of New Yorkers, but also protect the health of the economy. And one of the reasons we have so many people who are housing insecure and food insecure are dealing with all the specters of the fallout of the pandemic, mental health crises, suicide is up, addiction, opioid, opioid deaths are up. All this is a, an effect on the human condition because of what we went through in the past. I don't want to go back ever again to that place where people couldn't go to their jobs safely, couldn't congregate, kids couldn't go to schools. That isolation had a devastating effect on the human condition and we're still dealing with the fallout today. So to avoid that situation, I today am announcing that we are enacting a statewide indoor mask mandate unless a business has a vaccination mandate. Many people in New York City are already dealing with this been dealing with it for a while. You've been doing great. And that is why your hospital capacity is good. That's why your vaccination numbers are high. Your infections are not as high as the rest of the state. But the rest of the state now has a wake-up call. I've been warning. I've been saying, if we can't get more people vaccinated or boosted, I have to protect people, but also the economy. I want to make sure that the little businesses that were hurt so hard during the pandemic and has shut down, resulting in their loss of income, but the loss of income of all the people who work for them, we have to prevent that from happening. And that's why it's just this morning I announced they were taking that action statewide, and I wanted you to hear that here, and I'll be answering questions on that shortly. Now, you see what I mean? Uh, you see what I mean by that? Do we need a statewide mask mandate? No. But is she going to put one in? Yes, because she can exercise power. And she said, I warned you, you didn't listen. So for your own good now, I'm doing this to you. I'm taking away your freedom. This is what I'm talking about. 
There are politicians that will seize on this opportunity and prey on people. Turning to Jussie Smollett, by the way. Uh, Jussie, what a what a creep this guy is, huh? I mean, come on. We all knew this guy was a, it was a fugazi. We knew this, obviously. But what I have to admire a little bit is Sarah Haynes on The View saying that it's hard to believe anybody uh, could have thought it was a hoax, she said. Uh, the ladies on The View said, but Sarah Haynes was kind of like, hey, but 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 we just kind of, why did everybody just buy the claims? You know why they bought the claims? Because it was great. That's why it was great. It was exactly what the left and the media want to believe about America, that America is hateful, that uh, we are a bunch of, uh, of white supremacists. We hate gay people. They, they, this fit perfectly for all of the narratives. That's why all of these people jumped on board. It, let me just, you know what, actually, let me give you a quick refresher on what people said. At the time that this happened. Shall we do that? Give you a quick, quick little refresher on what people said. So when the Jussie Smollett fake hate crime occurred, Joe Biden tweeted out, what happened to Jussie Smollett must never be tolerated in this country. We must stand up and demand that we no longer give this hate safe harbor, that homophobia and racism have no place on our streets or in our hearts. We are with you, Jussie. So you see, by just if you break that down, we must stand up and demand that we no longer give this safe harbor. As if we give this safe harbor. Do we give this safe harbor in this country? We do not. Of course not. We know we don't. And that's why there are no hate crimes that that are real like this. This is this is the kind of BS that I'm talking about. Kamala Harris, Jesse Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate. Count Grant Stangela, Spartacus Booker and the Tears of Rage Band. The vicious attack on actor Jesse Smollett was an attempted modern-day lynching. I'm glad he's safe. Those in Congress who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill designating lynching as a federal hate crime, I urge you to pay attention. You know, as I said before, there's not a single state in the country that allows lynching. We don't have lynching areas of the country. There's not a county. There's not a town. There's not, we don't have anywhere in the country where you're allowed to lynch another human being. We don't need federal hate crime legislation on it because it's illegal in every state. If you lynch somebody, if they don't, if the actual act of lynching itself is not what's specifically written in the penal code, then attempted murder is. But this is Cory Booker's grandstanding, right? To to make you believe that without a federal lynching bill, that lynchings are happening all the time. You might see three or four tonight as you're driving home. It's the ridiculousness of it. But again, it's the narrative. It's the narrative that America, we're just a bunch of racist, hateful people. And we're not, of course, we're not racist, hateful people. This is a little bit from The View today. Well, I think um, you make a great point here is we're kind of living in a time right now where two things can be true. You can love someone and care for them and they can still make bad decisions and and hurt people. And uh, we rarely see that nuance at this point. When you say you love someone, people are like, I'm writing you off as endorsing everything they stand for. And that's just not humans. That's none of us. So uh, I, I commend you for doing that. I think the problem that bothers me here with this story is that the biggest thing for a victim of any abuse or hate crime is that they won't be believed yes. and i think when stories like this come out the damage is in planting a small seed that could potentially make someone not be believed when it happens the part that jumped out at me the most about this story though was the rush of leaders across this country to do the right thing on twitter and make sure they spoke up immediately in defense before knowing everything we had you know the president well, it made sense that's why well yeah but the, the, when, it, when you approach anything that happens you need to bring the information in be, you need to respond let, let's stop for a second here. To do the right thing and speak up. 
right? Do the right thing and speak up. Okay. I would agree with Sarah Haynes if, in fact, doing the right thing and speaking up would be because what happened to Jesse Smollett was such a horrific tragedy and everybody has to speak up and say and denounce what what we thought happened at the time. The problem is what we don't do in this country is we don't take a deep breath, we don't stop to think for a moment about things, and we don't stop to think to ourselves, am I saying this because I think this is a really bad thing or am I saying this to advance an agenda? And so many politicians in the media have an agenda to advance that is America is a hateful country and a white supremacist country and a homophobic country. We're not those things. But they love to think that we are because it advances their agenda of destroying the hierarchical, structural, capitalist, paternalistic, homophobic, whatever society. So uh, they jump on that because it pushes their narrative. That's the difference. I'm fine with people speaking up on things that they think are bad things. What I'm saying, though, is if you're doing it for that reason, that's one thing. But all these politicians I mentioned were doing it because it advanced the narrative. Who was president at the time? Donald Trump. What was this about? MAGA. MAGA country, MAGA hats, right? Trump's America, hateful place, hate-filled people. They weren't doing it because it was the right thing to condemn it. They were doing it because it advanced their narrative that Trump's America was an awful, hateful place and we're awful, hateful people. That's the truth. And they should be honest about that. And they're not. Let me back it up just a bit. The rush of leaders across this country to do the right thing on Twitter and make sure they spoke up immediately in defense before knowing everything. We had, you know, the president. Well, it made sense. That's why. Well, yeah, but when when you approach anything that happens, you need to bring the information in. You need to respond, not react. And everyone across the boards reacted very quickly and impulsively on Twitter. And I just think it's it's a reminder that you can't dial that back in. So if a narrative goes out and you endorse it. When things yeah, come out, I think we were it's- living in a, in a period where where it wasn't unimaginable no. that a black LGBTQ person could get beat up. And, 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 so and, I, and I, I know why it happened. I know. No, 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 no. It actually is. It is unimaginable that a black LGBT could get beat up because it didn't happen. So it actually is unimaginable. Anna Navarro. I'm sorry, but it is unimaginable because it didn't happen. So, it, 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 you know, this is what I mean. This is exactly my point. The reason why people like Anna Navarro and others jump to immediately say what, what happened to Jesse Smollett was, was, was true was because it fits in their mind the belief that it could happen in this hateful, awful place that is America. She just exactly showed her cards right there in that moment. Let me back it up because it's exa- this is so important. She literally just backed it up. The, the, when, it, when you approach anything that happens, you need to bring the information in. Be, you need to respond, not react. And everyone across the boards reacted very quickly and impulsively on Twitter. And I just think it's a, it's a reminder that you can't dial that back in. So if a narrative goes out and you endorse it, when things yeah, come out, I think we were it's- living in a, in a period where, where it wasn't unimaginable no. that a black LGBTQ person could get beat up and, and, so and, I, think, and I know I why it happened we're living in a period donald trump's america get it this is what i mean it's the rush to say what happened to jesse was real because it puts the narrative that trump's america is an awful place and there's just maga people walking around ready to beat up gay black people and black people who are straight and gay people who aren't black. I, I mean, I, I can't keep track of all of it other than in their in their warped mind, there's just hate crime on every corner in America. 
That's the point that I'm making. It's like, you know, you see a car accident on the side of the road, you want to help. You do the right thing. You see somebody get beat up, you want to help, you do the right thing. You jump on a story like this, as preposterous as it sounds, and it did sound preposterous the minute it came out. Not because you're doing the right thing. It's because it fits your narrative. That's my point. This story had so many holes in it the minute it came out that every rational person should have done what Dave Chappelle did and said, wait a second here, this sounds like a bunch of BS. Middle of the night in Chicago, 2 o'clock in the morning, 16 degrees below zero, this guy goes out for a walk to go to Subway to get sandwiches, and he gets attacked by two MAGA guys who just happen to be on the street with bleach and noose to commit a hate crime. There were so many problems with this story from day one that a rational person, again, skepticism, something I said earlier, should have poked a billion holes in it. But if it fits your narrative, like Anna Navarro's point, of this is a hateful America, this definitely could happen, you're not even going to do your due diligence and see how the story's a bunch of BS. That's my point. I don't know why it happened, but, but, you know but what? I think I, it's let, important. Let me say this, and I'm sorry, Sonny, because I know I'm cutting into your time. Um, I saw yesterday a lot of reaction, you know, on that point on Twitter of uh, people wanting to own the liberals who had reacted in support of Jussie Smollett. Well, yesterday also, Josh Duggar got convicted, if I'm guilty, of oh, yeah. child pornography. Yeah. And guess what? There are pictures Crickets. all over, all online of him with Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Mike Huckabee. So here's the bottom line. It is not their fault that Josh Duggar was a pornographer and they didn't know. What the- the hell does this have to do with anything nothing other than a way to slam republicans right this is again this is what the views little game is it's just their way of they they now so jussie was found guilty he made the whole thing up we all knew it was and yet the view has to then bring it back to bashing republicans somehow aren't these people rich aren't these people amazing in the way that they do things i mean really you got in some ways you got to give them real credit here in the way that they're able to just completely spin this stuff it's it's something they they, they want to target and bash conservatives over this whole thing I, i'm i mean i'm i'm amazed and offended but i mean actually i'm not amazed what am i kidding this is the way it goes uh jen saki also bashed jesse smollett sort of in a way but remember this is the white house that came out and immediately thought his bs story was absolutely true the minute it came out and so I mean, what what are you going to say when when this comes out other than to say, well, it was really bad of what he did. It was really bad. He shouldn't have done it. It really shouldn't have. He shouldn't have done it. I mean, it was really bad. And uh, and and so now what we say is we say it's really bad. Right. We say it's really bad. <laughs> of course, they're going to say it's bad. What, what do you what, like? What do you expect them to say? What do you what do you expect them to say at this point other than what Jesse Smollett did was bad? But from day one, they bought his story because it pushed their narrative. That's why it pushed their narrative. Um, Breaking news, Pennsylvania court just threw out the mask mandate for schools. That will probably be overturned by the time I'm back on the air with you on Monday. But for now, that breaking news just came out a few moments ago. Uh, Just seeing that the Pennsylvania high court throws out mask mandate for schools. Pennsylvania school children may soon be attending classes unmasked under a state Supreme Court ruling throwing out the Wolf Administration's statewide mask mandate that face coverings be worn inside K-12 school buildings. Wow, that's fantastic. I hope that that is, in fact, something that uh, they've just announced their decision. 
that have not yet issued a written opinion that explains their reasoning. Well, fantastic. That is that's wonderful, wonderful news. That is wonderful news. What a great way to end a week, huh? What a great way to end a Friday. What a great way to end a Friday. I love that. I mean, really, that, that's got to make you very happy. Hey, by the way, you remember, too, like, you know, like your kids sit outside, like those kindergartners in, in Oregon who have to sit outside freezing in 40-degree weather, sitting on lunch buckets to social distance. Parents like it, you know. You know that, right? Parents like that. Kids like it, too. But inside schools, there are often uh, you know, very strict rules. Uh, for example, sometimes students are required to eat outside or eat distance from each other, not talk to each other while they're eating. Does the White House want to see those rules lifted as well to get back to a more normal school experience? Well, schools are taking steps, especially since we've only recently approved uh, through the CDC and FDA vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds. They're not approved for kids younger than that to keep their kids safe and keep students safe. I will tell you, I have a 3-year-old who goes to school sits outside for snacks and lunch, wears a mask inside, and it's no big deal to him. I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, but these are steps that schools are taking to keep kids safe. And I think the vast majority of parents appreciate that. Obviously, we want to get to a point where we're turning to a version of normalcy for everybody, right? Uh, Where you're not sending your kid's backpack with seven extra masks, right? Where you're not adding two hats so that they're warm outside for a snack. There's no question that's the case, but we also think the most important thing should be safety, the safety of kids, keeping kids in school, which the president is very focused on. And some of these steps, creative steps that schools have taken have enabled that to be possible. i tell you what. I think they really do like what they put our kids through. I do. I really do. It's like in Germany, you know, kids in Germany have to stand in front of the class and state their vaccination status daily. Those who are vaccinated are applauded. Those who aren't are shamed. Again, what about parents who want to have skepticism about Big Pharma and just want to take their own time to make decisions? No, they're shamed. They're shamed. And it's just like if you don't buy into what Jesse Smollett said, if you had skepticism about that, you're shamed. You were denying a hate crime. Only, guess what? It didn't happen. Have a great weekend. Enjoy it. Stay, stay skeptical. It's important. Thank you for listening.